Welcome to Supply Chain Now, the voice of global supply chain. Supply Chain Now focuses on the best in the business for our worldwide audience, the people, the technologies, the best practices, and today's critical issues, the challenges and opportunities. Stay tuned to hear from those making global business happen right here on Supply Chain Now. Hey, good morning, everybody. Scott Luton and some dear friends with you here on Supply Chain Now. Welcome to today's live stream. We have a distinguished panel of leaders and, and folks that are taking action to help lead really the, the entire world through some of the challenges that we're seeing today. So I want to take just a second and introduce our panel, starting with Claudia Freed, CEO of EAL Green. Claudia, how are you doing? I'm doing very well, Scott. Thank you so much. You bet. So great to see you again after spending some time with you at the RLA uh, show out in Vegas just a few weeks ago. I tell you, the world's changed uh, since our last time together, uh, but so glad to have you here. Joining Claudia is Korai Jose, Senior Director Analyst, uh, Supply Chain Research and Advisory with Gartner. Korai, how you doing? Very well, thank you. Thanks for having me here. We're delighted. I really appreciate um, it. I'll tell you, I'm probably going to say it 27 times through our conversation deeds, not words. And no, you know, these three folks here just epitomize that and you can see them and what they do day in and day out. And and then, you know, rounding out our panel here today, we've got Enrique Alvarez, a dear friend, managing director at Vector Global Logistics and host, of course, of our Logistics with Purpose podcast, amongst others. Enrique, how are you doing? Scott, always a pleasure to be here. I'm, of course, saddened with what's been going on in the world right now, but also inspired by the way the world has come together to fight this horrible horrible war in the ukraine including many brave russians right that are opposing mm. putin and the regime so it's very inspirational for that reason but that's a great point that is a great point thousands and thousands of russians have been arrested protesting what's been taking place so i'm, I'm glad you mentioned that enrique but I, again honored to team up with these three folks that admire so much real action-driven leadership passion and purpose purpose for helping others here so today we're focused on the barbaric, the needless Russian invasion of Ukraine. We're going to be gaining Gartner's insights on recent research in terms of what the war means for global supply chain. And equally as important, we'll be sharing some ways that you, our listeners, can help those in need in Ukraine. So stay tuned for what promises to be an informative and intriguing conversation. Okay. So, and, and, and one other word uh, to all the folks in the, the cheap seats, the skyboxes, we want to hear from you. You know, we're all experiencing this together as Amanda, uh, and big thanks to Amanda Chantel and Catherine behind the scenes, helping to make production happen. As Amanda was talking pre-show, it's been a shock to the system. It's been tough to process and, and even tougher to kind of figure out what action to take. So uh, we want to hear from you uh, as we work through today's conversation. So Enrique, Claudia, and, and Corai. I want to start as we were talking pre-show as well. You know, there has been more access, maybe the wrong word, but there's been more coverage, boots on the ground, independent journalists, independent activists, just independent people that care that are documenting what's going, what's taking place. I want to share on the front end of our conversation here today. I want to share a couple of images that really stopped me in my tracks as you know, we've been looking for information and meaning, of course. So let's add this to the stream here. So this is not 1939 or 1940. This is, I believe, last week in Ukraine. 
and including the sources that I've got these pictures. That's that's the Twitter handle you'll see on each of these these documents here. How about this? I mean, we can all relate as parents. Unbelievable. I'm a Ukrainian soldier rescuing a baby. Look at the carnage behind. And of course, we've seen a lot of the pets that are, you know, oftentimes abandoned and when conflict takes place. There's been some some initiatives and some leaders trying to save them as well. And then uh, I conclude with this image, which I don't take pleasure in, but to Enrique's point and to what we'll probably talk about here today, the world has come together to unite against who is leading the invasion and the atrocities. And, you know, there's been varying various analyses of how isolated Putin has become, but this image screams a million different words, uh, at least in my ears. So with that kind of as a, an opening, I want to go around our panel here today and just, you know, we've all been processing what's been taking place over the last couple of weeks. I want to get your initial observations and then we're going to dive into Kora's uh, research with Gartner. So Claudia, I want to start with you. What comes to mind? Scott, when you asked me to join this panel and to have the pleasure to speak with you about this and, and your audience and the followers, it was quite a humbling invitation to accept. I'm neither a historian, our nonprofit organization is not a global charity. We only work in the United States. However, as a concerned individual, it will take courage, uh, and that's the reason I accepted the invite today, uh, to speak up, to inform and learn um, about the situation and uh, to be able to see beyond perhaps uh, the, the images because the story of what we are witnessing is something that three weeks ago, most businesses were concerned with getting their people back to work. Three weeks ago, most people were ripping off masks, saying we're going to see each other's faces. And less than three weeks on, we have a global crisis that impacts both the economy, education, livelihood. Everyone now has seen images of innocent people that have lost their lives. I have traveled around the world. I've been very, very fortunate to be at the Peace Museum in Hanoi. I have been in places in the Middle East. I've seen the uh, museums in Argentina that try to tell the story once the conflict is over. Mm. The difficulty we all experience now is that no one knows how will this end or how long it will take. Well, gosh, well said. That, that's a, such a great perspective to kind of start the conversation with. So thank you for sharing. Really quick, I want to say hello before I move along to Korai. I want to say hello. Of course, Peter Bole is with us here today. I hope this finds you well. You know, these digital relationships, you know, they, they've come and really flex their muscles so well. So more, more, if you asked me five years ago, you know, what, how that would factor into everything. I, yeah, I'm just blown away. Peter, great to see you. Uh, Anwar. He's a supply chain officer from MSF India. Great to see you, Enwar. Thanks for being here. Mervin, of course. Mervin, great to have you. Uh, tuned in from Dublin. Barbara, thanks for joining us here today via LinkedIn. Let us know where you're tuned in from. Josh, we enjoyed your perspective the other day. Uh, welcome from Seattle via LinkedIn. Looking forward to your perspective. Ahmad from Kenya. Jeff from California. Welcome, everybody. And again, we want to welcome your perspective as we work through this conversation here today. Okay. So, Claudia eloquently kicked off the conversation. Karai, what else would you add just as we start to kind of unpack what we're all experiencing? 
I think I, I, I share the sentiment about this sudden and unexpected uh, level of uh, disruption to people's normal life. And I wouldn't first mention supply chain here, but people's lives and uh, their priorities. Um, when we think about uh, this issue, though, we can we can look at some signals that we that we saw earlier, not only a few weeks before this actually turned into a hot conflict, but years ago and decades ago. And I think we move on from issues when we think we are not touched anymore. And we are not always making sure that there was a resolution in place that's sustainable. And I think that we're seeing right now that catches up with our lives. And the research that I started on this conflict, unfortunately, was predictive when it came out. And mm. just like two weeks later, it actually turned out to be, unfortunately, I mean, eerie accurate. And that brings us to the next point that once we kind of put back our availability into action to sense things and not just to focus on one singular thing that for yourself is important. I think then we start to understand the world and the surroundings a bit better. And unfortunately, we're looking into a, a dire moment in history, seismic mm. shifts geopolitically. This conflict is just started two weeks ago, less than two weeks ago. And when we're thinking about this, it's gonna stay much longer than the next two weeks and much longer than maybe even the next two years. So mm. we're looking at something where you can at any point in time start thinking about doing something but the sooner the better. Thank you for that, Karai. And I look forward to the research and the data-driven research you'll be sharing with us soon. I'll tell you, Enrique, I'm coming to you next as we wrap kind of some initial observations, but I'm praying. While to your point, Karai, this, you know, we're not going to solve this overnight. And unfortunately, it looks like there's going to be a painful road ahead, but praying every day for a cease, a ceasefire and for the atrocities to stop and give folks a respite as, as hopefully very skilled diplomats and the world can come together and, and figure out a more permanent solution. But Enrique, what's on your mind? Well, first couple of, uh, I mean, when you, when you look at all those pictures that you showed and some of many of the others that we probably all have seen, and again, it's a very well, it's very well documented conflict mm -hmm. because we have social media and you see all these different tweets and Instagram posts and things like that. The first thing that that comes to my mind is of course, it's horrific it's 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 very very sad but but i'm angry i i've been angry since this started why because it's just see all that people and all that needless just loss of life and infrastructure and and just uh order in general that's really really scary and so for me i've been communicating with agents we have a logistics company as some of you guys might know and so i've been communicating with agents around the region with friends also in the ukraine that have families in the ukraine and just kind of trying to understand a little bit of what they're leaving and how they're feeling it's just it's horrible it's something no one should go through ever and and i feel that now it's a time to kind of all come together stand by the Ukrainians, stand by the Ukraine and do something, right? I really mm -hmm. feel that this is a goal for the rest of humanity to stop this selfless, egomaniac tyrants once and for all. This mm -hmm. cannot stand. And and so I'm just kind of angry and sad and just trying to, to fight against this somehow. So, yeah, I think all of us, I think we're all nodding our heads. We kind of feel a lot of what you just expressed there. So this, this, these conversations, for me at least, are difficult to kind of work through because of, of what folks 
in Ukraine and in the region are, are experiencing, you know, we have it easy. We sitting here doing a live stream, talking supply chain. So it's with that in mind that we want to, you know, be very respectful with the tenor. So, but we want to hear from folks and hear what you're observing. So welcome in Estefania from Mexico. Great to see you here. Uh, Lisa, Hey, we appreciate that feedback, you know, supply chain professionals and leaders and in the most inclusive sense, right? In the end supply chain, all that, that makes up is in a unique position to do something about this. So thank you for that, uh, Lisa. Gene, hope this finds you well. Great to have you here today. Saham, great to have you back. Really enjoyed your perspective last week and welcome everyone else. Okay, so Korai, in our prep conversation yesterday, that there's so much a wealth of information that y'all have produced. We've kind of tried to target uh, I think three slides, and then there's lots more because there's all, lots of data. It's an exhaustive research. But we've got a couple images, and we're going to be working through this conversation based, you know, kind of learning from you here today. Information is power, as memories shared on the live stream this week when we are talking more, you know, kind of traditional supply chain, traditional conversation, I guess. An informed consumer makes informed decisions. Well, I would expand that that beautiful sentiment from memory. Informed leaders make informed decisions. Informed humans make informed decisions. And, and so with that said, Cora, I want to dive into the key findings from your research. And Enrique, Claudia, as we talked about, we welcome your color commentary. So Cora, for starters, I want to pull this kind of this level setting document here. So Cora, where do we start? I think just to baseline everybody's understanding is always a good starting point. So we can um, then digest a little bit the information and then maybe contextualize it a little bit what people feel and also what actually businesses feel. So when we look at the conflict, it really is still on a trajectory of escalation, despite of the meetings that has ha have happened now in the last few days to de-escalate, even on the level of uh, really highest officials of uh, the Russian government and the Ukrainian government getting together in Antalya and Turkey. But it's disheartening that those take 15 minutes and they just walk away from the negotiation table. Mm -hmm because the narrative uh, put forward is, is just unbelievable to some extent. So we can see, however, the Western world putting actions together, trying to put pressure without um, armed conflict, and that's the sanctions, right? We see the sanctions spike, we see the uh, central banks being active and putting pressure, we see the swift exclusion of the payment system, and we see the airspace being closed for flights out of Russia. And I think those measures are showing effect, but right now they're showing an effect of anger on the opposite side. So it actually intensified the conflict for the time being. However, when we look at it economically, it is uh, almost like uh, wrestling the bear down a little bit, no, no pun intended, right? So it will take time, but we see the Russian ruble devaluate. We see the uh, Russian government's debt to be almost defaulting. They are at the brink of defaulting because a lot of their reserves are frozen because they're outside of Russia. So um, we look at the two economies totally non-comparable. Ukraine about 50 billion, Russia 400 billion, right? We also look, however, then a step further, the Russian economy, 250 billion out of that 400 billion exports is actually fossil fuels. Mm. And the dependency goes to Western Europe mainly. So thinking about that and putting pressure on the energy exports that create a billion euros for Russia a day, basically financing the 
the machinery to this uh, aggression is something I think politicians understood, but the dependency is just so dire that it will take time to counter that, right? It, let me let me uh, chime in just for a second, and I'm gonna, I'm going to get Enrique and Claudia to, to maybe quickly comment on what Coraz already opened up here. Just adding headlines this morning. Uh, the Biden administration is going to Congress to get Russia's most favored nation status. I'm not a trade expert, but get that removed. I think that would be a historic move. In a strange development, I'll call it, for lack of a better word, the Russian space agency is threatening to leave the one American astronaut up at the, at the International Space Station because, of course, we rely on Russian rockets for that. It's, it's this, you couldn't write this. You couldn't sit down and write this book. All right, so I'm going to come to Enrique and Claudia really quick. But first, Josh says do anything correctly. You need communication and accurate information. The countries that are allowing refugees in will have to tackle the issues of energy, food, and health care. For the 2 million, question mark, because Karaz going to talk about this in a minute, additional people that need care while correctly cutting off one of the world's largest exporters of power. Excellent point there. Claudia, really quick, based on kind of how Karaz set in the table, your quick comment. Interestingly, how this uh, never was a regional conflict. We've seen conflict around the world, right? Immediately, it became a global conflict. Um, the idea of the systems, whether it's financial system, SWIFT, uh, trades, um, regulatory tariffs, all of that, which the world has used as mechanisms to promote uh, a global economy where everyone can thrive and, and uh, benefit from uh, those very systems are really the foundation as well as how we help the people who are the victims here. Yes. Um, yes. So for leaders, uh, it, it's a difficult time um, when you cut off uh, getting money. It also we'll talk a bit later. It presents a challenge for nonprofits that are trying to get uh, aid onto the hands of the people who need it. Very complicated uh, fast, high stakes, and I don't think it's ever been more important that the stakes are so high that getting it wrong um, will have terrible consequences. Well said, Claudia Enrique. Yeah, so just adding to what Cora said, the Ukrainian general has 18 seaports, and all of them combined, they have like a throughput of about 1.4 million TUs. That was in 2020. Savannah, so that you can have a, some kind of context or comparisons like 2.7 million so it's 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 a lot it's it's a really important and now they're all closed there's no uh people working on the ports they're all shut down and the one thing that i think i um i'm worried about is that and i'm fully supportive of certain sanctions i think they're needed and they're already you can start seeing the pressure as cora was saying but then of course some of these other sanctions that are probably not financial or energy related are also going to affect a lot of the poor Russia, Russians in Russia right now. So I think this conflict can continue to go on. And at some point, we're probably going to have to start sending humanitarian aid to Russia because this impacts, this is going to impact the poorer as most conflicts always do. And um, that's also something we have to consider as Claudia was saying, right? It's, it's not easy. Those sanctions actually have some consequences that mm. are not all of them intentional. Positive. Right. We've got so much to get into. Thank you both uh, for your commentary there. And thank you, Jose. We all, I think, feel the sentiment here. Uh, stand and, and and what's the right action to be taken. But getting back to you, Korai, you know, when you think about comparable situations, I can't, I can't stop thinking, frankly, 
about the first Gulf War when, when Saddam Hussein invaded uh, Kuwait. I spent some time in Kuwait uh, when I was in the Air Force. And of course, to Claudia's point, gosh, not only are the stakes massively different, but unfortunately, the options are massively different. Of course, there's some other differences. But what comparable comes to your mind, Karai? Quite honestly, nothing good. Um, and I have to go decades back to a comparable situation where the geopolitical impact of this is, as I said, seismic. And I think post-World War II, there's nothing that kind of compares to that in the way it's unfolding because we see a level of prosperity globally that has grown over decades of more or less peace without having a world war. And right now we're at the brink of a huge military power take NATO head on in the midst of Europe, where we had peace, luckily, for many decades post-World War II. The UN was created as a reaction to that, and the UN had a historic vote condemning the actions that they are unfolding. So it's, in my opinion, unprecedented. And it's really terra incognita. We are not really sure where we're going with this because how can you come out of this and save face? How can you come out of it and say, hey, you know, we're going we're gonna to invest directly again in Russia, foreign direct investments, because we see a future there that is, it provides a business freedom for us to conduct it. And, and um, I think that is unfortunate. But so if you ask me... I don't, I can't really recall any of these to be comparable. I'm sorry. I, I, I couldn't agree with you more on the point about that the, nothing comes to mind that is good. The idea that after World War II, the, the world has looked toward uh, peace through economic progress or peace through some level of access to resources, whether it's implementing private industry in some countries that previously did not have or stabilizing currencies. We, I, I spent the first part of my career working for a wonderful organization that was in the market for trading options. And so it was a very speculative market. Hmm. I cannot imagine now what it would be like to sit at a trading desk at any part in the world <laughs> yeah. because the volatility and the risk. Right. So when you think about things like the impact on the transportation, Enrique will tell us. Yes. Can the market handle uh, $7 a gallon pricing for our truckers? Mm. So the economic repercussion at a micro level, not just the macro and the global, it will take a very, very long time to stabilize. Mm. So yeah. on that note, let me bring in Dr. Rhonda. Dr. Rhonda, hope this finds you well from Arizona there. This is a wonderful sentiment. I think we can reframe this conversation, she says, standing in support of all humans that are behaving from a place of kindness and protection for others. Very well said, Dr. Rhonda. Claudia, I'm learning something new about you. I always knew that you were several pay grades above me, but man, to hear about your trading background, we're going to have to have a whole nother conversation. Kara, I want to come to you next in just a second. I'm going to move ahead to the uh, some of the industries are getting impacted, but Enrique, quick comment from you, please. Yeah, no, I answering your question about how this conflict compares to other conflicts in history, it, it, it's really hard, right? One of the main difference that I see is technology and information. I think that uh, back in the day, and Corey mentioned this, the Cold War, I think that the propaganda, which is so important for some of these conflicts to continue to grow, 
uh, was easier in general. Right now we have Instagram and Twitter and social media and all that. So I'm feeling that it's a lot easier to learn what's really happening. And it's really, really hard for governments that are trying to portray things differently with the sole purpose of really making this more conflictive, uh, it's, it's harder. So I think that that's a, that's a big difference that we're seeing and that I think that it's going to be key as well to kind of resolve the conflict because it's going to be a lot harder to convince uh, Russians in Russia that the evil is the West again and, well, and they are the saviors of mm. the Ukraine. I think that's going to be harder for them to, to really sell. Enrique, you bring up a brilliant point, something I hadn't thought about to this point. You know, we've seen democratization take root and enable even the smallest of organizations to compete with the big ones, right? Now we're seeing information war, information warfare, democratization, I can never say that word right, enable citizens that want to help get the word out to, to help combat the aggressive uh nations that are that are causing the atrocities it's really it's a, it's, a, it's amazing it's a it's a it's part of the sliver of good news right how technology is enabling that to happen but and right. i think that's why before you jump real quick that's yep. why dr ronda's uh simmerman comment is so important right because right now we cannot make the same mistake and say well the russians are evil these are right. the good guys these are the bad guys no there's there's a lot of good people everywhere and i think again to dr Simmerman's comment, I think it's important that we all realize that we're all in this together and we're all trying to fight this regime and this terrible invasion of the Ukraine together. Agreed. we got to try to isolate and, and get real specific around who is perpetuating the suffering. So, uh, Karais, shifting gears a bit, uh, there's so much we can talk about as a panel, so much to talk about, but kind of talking about some of the industries that, that are going to be We've already have been and will continue to be impacted with what's going on in Ukraine. Speak to that if you would. Yeah, so we're seeing mainly six challenges that are a bit related also to the COVID reaction, but the COVID reaction came in waves. This is one day to another, basically. So we're seeing material shortages, especially in the ones that come out of the region. We can think about palladium, neon, nickel. I mean, if you want to go somewhere and just check the nickel price you'll be surprised how actually uh you know a rocket actually rocket ship starts towards the moon it looks like that mm -hmm. uh, material cost increases um are across the board and we, we see it somewhat on the gas station but when it comes to the products there is a lead time in between of course there's an adjustment of pricing there's willingness to pay so we will see that and that puts more inflationary pressure on everybody including companies and people mm -hmm. who just, you know, try to get uh, to the end of the month with still something in their bank account. So demand volatility will take an impact there because if you have less what you can buy with what you have, you will have fluctuations. Um, you may have a demand volatility where you need to now buy other things, right? And we saw in the pandemic too. So a lot of actions can be put into place that companies learn or should have learned in the last two years, logistics route and capacity constraints, right? You know, when somebody parked their boat in the Suez Canal, just, you know, to see what it means, we saw that. So this is worse than that. This is not just one Suez Canal impact. It's like we heard from Enrique, many, many ports and the Black Sea route and the Belt and Road Initiative from China to Western Europe is impeded. 
uh, even air travel is impeded. We saw people who were on vacation, literally, you know, uh, and they couldn't go back to Russia wow. or Ukraine. They were stuck. Yeah. Uh, we see cybersecurity breaches. We see production capacity impacts. We see companies shutting down plants in Russia and um, Ukraine anyways. But companies like Volkswagen saying like we suspend production there and GM saying like we're not going to sell any more cars there. And um, when we talk about industries, high-tech industries, semiconductors, almost in every product we're using, it was already dire. It was bottoming out and coming back up. Now, if you think about Neon being critical to the manufacturing of it and 90% comes from Ukraine, well, maybe your next laptop purchase, you know, you buy what you have right now in front of you. Otherwise, you may be on a wait list. Mm. Yeah. Okay. I, I want to get, I'm going to keep going with you for a second, Korai, and then I'm going to get Enrique and Claudia to weigh in. You've already kind of spoken to this, but speaking, <laughs> I want to see if I can find some better news. I think about full impact when we, you think that will peak and when are we going to see, hopefully, prayerfully, some improvements? And I'm not talking just uh, supplies and, and commodities. I'm talking a little broader than that. Speak to that, Karai, if you would. So when we, when we think about uh, peaks, we, we see some of it like um, reacting. Of course, the markets are anxious about the developments. But I think the more information and comprehension comes into play, the more it's going to be a long-term impact. So what we're seeing right now at the gas station is probably the lowest in the next few months to come. Bad news, but it seems to be the truth. Uh, we also see oil being discussed at 200. You know, maybe I can, I, if I would have a word in that, I would actually say probably at some point 300, maybe 400, but I don't understand yet the complexities that will cause other nations to react to that more boldly other than economically, right? And that would be a chain reaction. So when do we see likely true impact to consumers more than just like a little bit of pain here and there? Probably when the lead times are reached and the inventories are low. So wait another 30 to 90 days from now. And then we'll see a better picture and we'll see how vast the impact is in in overall, I mean, like uh, wheat and grains out of Ukraine, right? If your bread, you know, is not being sold anymore or it's extremely expensive, who will be hit first? The poorest. And that is a major problem, right? Or the refugee waves. We were seeing a comment about 2 million. We're all right about there, but that's the beginning. We're just 10 days into it. The ones who are now in the position of safety are the ones who had the means. There are millions who don't have the means and they will find one way or another, humans always try to get out of trouble, right? They will find their way out of the trouble, hopefully, and we're praying for that. But that means we're now looking at the refugee wave larger than we've seen from the conflict in Syria, pouring yeah. into the economies uh, in Europe. And um, that is uh, not necessarily you know, something that will impede the economy, but it is a pressure on the economy now with five, six million refugees to be absorbed and to be taken care of, right? In a way that will likely need to be done for multiple years because it's not like, oh, ceasefire, everybody goes back. The latest right. number of the destruction in Ukraine goes up to $120 billion loss in 10 days. 120 billion dollar loss of destruction wow. and gdp loss just ukraine i mean forget about russia for the moment if we add that 
it's yeah. going to be even a higher number. So that is mind boggling. I think we're, we're approaching 2 million refu refugees now. Karai just mentioned five and, and 6 million. Gosh, just the, the scale of suffering. Claudia, whether it's something that Karai said there or something that you know, thought that comes to your mind, what, what would you add? On the point of that in, in some crises, particularly in the COVID, it was a wave. You could kind of foresee getting stable, then getting worse. This came very sudden and, and, and it mirrors uh, what disaster relief philanthropy uh, tries to follow. So if you have, in, if you think about how the world can come together in, in looking at ways to help, there is an immediate response. Uh, in some cases, then that follows some rebuilding. Then later on in the crisis, you may have mitigation and then you help uh, countries and people uh, for preparedness. So there is a cycle to how the world can uh, rise to help uh, because, of course, all we, we, we all love to uh, be uh, present and avoid the next child being killed or the right. next family being separated. And the idea that this conflict is so far-reaching, that the stakes are so high, uh, that the cost to human life is so great, yes. it, it's overwhelming. And it, as leaders, that's a challenge as well, running your company, running your business, running your teams. Uh, we, frankly, uh, from a mental health perspective, uh, no one needed this. Mm. You know, I couldn't, we've all probably seen the image of the, the pregnant woman being carried on the stretcher. It, it just, yeah. it, yeah. it, it kicked me in the gut and in the, in the heart. Uh, it, it's, it's just uh, such a tragedy. Uh, Don, welcome. Uh, I've got your question. I'm going to tee that up to the group in just a second for quick responses. But Enrique, before we do that, mm -hmm. your thoughts? Yeah, no, dude, both Corey and Claudia mentioned it right on the humanitarian front. It's just also important to acknowledge how um amazing like poland and hungary and romania all those countries that are around the region are responding very openly uh very rapidly and they've been doing things that are amazing and inspiring so we have to definitely acknowledge that but then how long can they keep doing that right mm. i mean they're doing it now they're responding right now but this immigration that has been forced uh onto ukrainians it's just gonna last a lot longer so we're gonna have to help all those countries going to make sure they can uh, safely and, and I guess, uh, efficiently welcome millions and millions of Ukrainians that they didn't clearly plan for. Right. right. And then on the other side, the economics aspects of this, um, and I have a very practical example of our agents in Vietnam. We're shipping a lot of products from Vietnam and all of a sudden it turns out that steamship lines decided to stop all these different lanes into Russia and some other part and Ukraine, of course. Hmm. And so all of a sudden Vietnam's economy is going to be impacted because they all of a sudden stop exporting their products to, to Russia mm -hmm. just very quickly. Like main importers into Russia, of course, is China, it's China, Germany, the U S Valerios, but Vietnam is $4 billion hmm. a year that they, they export into Russia and that's all gone. So at some point, we're going to start seeing all this mm -hmm. conflict um, reflected in other countries' economies because you just don't have that trade anymore. Mm -hmm. And of course, people that were manufacturing things in Vietnam that were going to Russia are just going to have to find something else to do. They'll be out of a job. So mm -hmm. this will be, this will be, yeah. And if I can just add, um, I think another point you make is, is really 
for those of us who are in the sustainability and environmental part of the world, uh, thinking about the impact, um, I read somewhere that this is also an expression of agricultural societies. Yes. For example, I come from Argentina, as Scott very well knows, and Argentina could become a, a bigger member of the agricultural trade. I mean, we, we have soybeans, we have wheat, uh, uh, corn in Argentina. Are there infrastructures that can pivot, using a term that I said right. that I will not say? In <laughs> we all said that. But <laughs> and, and redirect ways to export the um, uh, agriculture, meat, grains, uh, from, from places like um, Argentina and other countries that have for different trade agreements uh, have stayed within the region. Uh, so that's something else to look out in terms of what other countries will step in to try to help the food supply chain, right? which is uh, uh, more vital in, in my view, uh, in the long view uh, and, and somewhat uh, more um, dramatic view. Um, we can all live with one less computer. Right. That's we true. All, That's... We can all live with one less fancy telephone. Or right. Or 87 uh, versions of the latest sneakers right. versus, and, and, you know, 112. Right. Um, to an extent, that's the part. But food is uh, uh, vital for humanity, obviously. Agreed. Okay. So, Don, you ask a great question about the collapse of the Russian stock exchange. We're not going to have time to get to that. Uh, I would encourage our guests maybe to connect with Don uh, on social and, and, and offer that up, or maybe we can put it in the comments. But, Kora, I want to circle back to you. And I appreciate your commentary, Claudia and Enrique expertise there, but I want to get into kind of the action. What are, and I want to start with the recommendations from you and the Gartner team of what organizational leaders can do to mitigate uh, these conditions. And then as we close the day, we're going to be picking Enrique and Claudia's brain on, on some of the wonderful humanitarian initiatives, initiatives out there that we can all help support. So Karai, what do leaders do? So I think the first thing is just to understand the impact to your enterprise and your specifically your human resources, but also your supply chain. So visibility has been abysmal, unfortunately, and we see the learnings out of the pandemic have not necessarily kicked in in many organizations. So this is the proof of concept situation where the resilience narrative that we and the, the resilience the sort of research we put out shows now the re return on invest that a lot of times is being questioned on this. Mm -hmm. So when we're looking at that immediately, think about, do you have full visibility? Do you know all the enterprises that you're doing business with directly or indirectly in lower tiers and try to create that visibility for you to make informed decisions mm -hmm. while you're doing that, take care of your people. I talked to a lot of sea level of large enterprises, um, I mean, global 50 enterprises, and they have hundreds of people in the conflict region, meaning Ukraine and Russia in that sense, because people who are in Russia impacted by the shutdowns of their own enterprises in region, they still need to figure out, are they going to be productive? Are they going to be employed? And how are they going to be productive? And at the same time, we hear messages about employees uh, being stuck in bunkers, uh, WhatsApping and being on MS Teams with their boss during normal work hours. And that is a bit shocking. So how, that's, the, that's the first thing leaders need to do. Can they 
provide safety and comfort to the resources in the conflict region? And can they draw the right conclusions out of it? That's the first. The second one is make commitments to your supply chain to show confidence. And that means don't overcommit, don't get into irrational panic buying because that creates a bullwhip effect and a congestion that everybody will suffer. Mm -hmm. Of course, it's preaching to the choir a bit, but there will be companies who act as if they were like the sole biggest, largest consumer and create some of the panic buying um, dynamics. But I don't know if that's actually going to be the right move because demand volatility can kick in. And then, of course, you make the commitments. You can't get the stuff out of the region. So uh, what are you going to do with that? That's another problem. Um, at the end of the day, it is really about your vulnerabilities and ability to understand that through the visibility and taking the right actions in the right priorities. And you showed the outlook, right? We're looking into several different scenarios there that we still we hope to keep alive the de-escalation scenario, right? That the ceasefire comes into play, people are rescued, uh, negotiations are done at the table, not on the battlefield, and that. However, still, as slow as it is, it's still a better option than continuation of destruction. Right. Unfortunately, we are right now in a severe environment. So the regional containment is currently the focus of the parties that are not yet directly involved, like NATO and the Western European countries. They try to contain it, and mm -hmm. they, while they're containing, they're trying to solve it. However, for an accident, um, a rocket hits uh, refugees in the border of Poland and Ukraine. What is going to be, is it going to be the NATO case? Is is that going to require the action of NATO, which would be unprecedented full-scale war involvement? I mean, we're this situation, as much as we don't see so much in the news, that severe scenario, because, I mean, Jens Stoltenberg said that we are working on avoiding a full-scale war. And if right. he said that as the head of NATO, we are at a situation that is critical. So whatever we can do to help people to come and come through this in a safe and hopefully comforting way, um, the better for everybody. Um, and that includes, like Enrique pointed out, the people in Russia employed by companies, either from the outside as foreign direct investment or just the Russian economy itself. This is lasting damage. This is not a cut somewhere yeah. this is like this is going to take time to heal agreed um, and we can see um i think a real risk of spillover agreed. We can conflict regions in the south china sea coming up and we can mention mm. vietnam i can mention more islands that are there out there and you can easily uh, you know figure which ones i mean there and it can just escalate from there on so i think we need to be doing and acting the right things right now. Like mm. just watch because you can always cost correct, right? But you cannot make up for time lost. Agreed. So much. Gosh, we need several more hours, Cobra. I really appreciate what what you and Claudia and Enrique have all brought to the table. Just want to put this out there uh, to the Russian people. You know, find your voice. You know, we're with you. Uh, you're in a unique position, much like we've been talking about how supply chain is a unique position in different countries that we're all speaking to. But prayers are with the Russian people to um, to find their voice and to help change what's taking place. Okay, Correct. a couple quick comments. 
Yeah. Claudia, go ahead. Yeah. I, I want to just comment on Corey's excellent analysis. Yeah. And um, I know this is a live event and we may not be able to come back and listen to it, but um, I really appreciate the, the rigor of that analysis, Corey, and in terms of understanding uh, really the consequences. Suffering mm. is suffering. I don't care what you call it, what accent you have, what country, suffering is suffering. And the best outcome would be uh, to tread back carefully, quickly. Yes. Um, yeah. So I, we can enjoy uh, peace for everyone. I think yeah, I totally agree with uh, Claudia and Corey put like a very comprehensive and very simple plan to follow. So we should definitely pay closer attention to that. Hopefully people can uh, we can share some of those documents that Corey put together after this, Scott. But mm -hmm. For me, it's we we all have to fight. This is our fight. This is our war too. I mean, every single person that's somewhat um, conscious enough or old enough to know that that this is going on has to do something, right? And it can be just sending another WhatsApp meme or text, or it it doesn't matter if it's five dollars. It doesn't matter if it's two dollars. It doesn't matter if you're really gathering food and sending it. It doesn't matter if you're hosting families from the Ukraine. But you, everyone should do be doing something, right? Mm -hmm. Even if it's small, everyone should be doing something. And I think that, as Cora mentioned, it has to happen now. Yes. Because no matter what, this going to the impacts of this is going to be, it's going to be uh, felt for a long time. Yeah. That's and right. Maybe I can add one pragmatic uh, solution to that for the movements we have seen in the last year, right? Climate change and the urgency to do something about the environment for our, for the sake of our children, right? We can do that only once we have stability, peace, and prosperity, mm. right? So all the organizations that have created such a, such a impact on all of us to be informed, if they step up now and include this conflict to their narrative and bring forward a pragmatic sustainability agenda, I think that will make so much more impact with people who haven't paid attention to climate change. Right. Because right now we're, we depend on stability and prosperity. And maybe we need to accept just a few things for that sake in order to make even better and bolder moves down the road. And down the road doesn't mean in 50 years, doesn't mean like now towards the next couple of years. So, uh, well said. Uh, I think we all can certainly agree on that no one will win with a massive global war. There will be, uh, it'll be something that humanity has never seen. And that's why it, it's so tough. And our leaders have such a horrible challenge mm -hmm. to walk that middle, you know, while folks are suffering that we all want to do something about it. But gosh, the wrong step could really lead to an explosive environment that, that, um, no one wins in. So uh, well said panel. I want to switch over to hopefully uh, lighter news because it's, it's opportunity to take action, no matter how small, how big, but really quick, a tool. Yeah. Ripple, ripple effect across supply chain and ripple effect across humanity is, is what we're seeing here. Siham, great point. Great point. Other world conflicts are also important. Yet the invasion of Ukraine is so far reaching. It needs immediate global attention. Well said there. Uh, T squared says that the scenario really shows how economically integrated we are. Agreed. Japneet, great to see you here to, uh, today. Says it's an attack on freedom, ordinary citizens, right to peace and prosperity, not a mere geopolitical situation. Everyone in the world is impacted and needs to step up. Man, 
We want to put that on a big old poster and take to the streets, Chapney. Well said. Thank you so much for sharing. Okay. Speaking of taking action, you know, we're all big. You know, one of our mantras here is in our bones, deeds, not words, deeds, not words. So Claudia, I want to circle back to you first. And I know all, all of our esteemed panel here, uh, what you see is what you get folks. If y'all, if you haven't seen Enrique, Claudia and Corey in action, these are the same people you have in the private conversations, the same ones you have in front of, you know, in front of our ecosystem here. Genuine, passion, purposeful. So, Claudia, I know you've got a slew of humanitarian initiatives. What are some of your favorites that you'd recommend to folks? And we're going to drop the, those links in the comments. Great conversation to switch to what can we do? So mobilizing first our minds to the point that was made earlier. Learn about the conflict. Learn what the history about. Um, how we got here, what can we do to help um, bring harmony even within our workplace. Uh, stress uh, in organizations is very high and, and being informed allows you to have intelligent conversations. Uh, when we come to a value in the American culture, which is philanthropy, we're one of the most philanthropic and generous nations in the world. Uh, there are studies that talk about what that does to the human being and how it enriches your soul when you are mm -hmm. able to have empathy and when you are able to uh, extend your hand. Not everybody is able to send an airplane to take out people. Mm -hmm. Some companies will be able to do that. And for a moment, if you think about what are corporations doing, talk about those who immediately retracted their workforce. No one told them. There was no uh, White House that said, go get your people out. So corporations are taking the step because they know it's the right thing to do. Mm. And ordinary citizens also can take certain steps. My advice to anybody who wants to be involved and feel that they are doing something positive, learn about the reputable charities that are already on the ground. This is not a time to start supporting a cause that you never heard about. And how do you find what those charities are? There are reputable agencies in the United States and globally that rank charities on their transparency, on their efficacy, and on their governance. So you can go to guidestar.org, charitynavigator.org. We will put that on the chat, and we can share that on our LinkedIn profiles. First, find out, just like what Gardner does for the corporate and business world, there are organizations that have already assessed the efficacy uh, and the effectiveness of those charities. Hmm. There is one that has gained a lot of prominence. I have not yet donated myself, uh, but I am contemplating. And uh, Karai, I would like you to correct my pronunciation. Razum or Razum, R-A-Z-O-M, which in Ukrainian means together. It is an organization that is able to uh, get some funding and donations of money. So when we think about what we can do, there are two ways of doing it. We can do financial donations. In other disasters, we have had cases where uh, there are in-kind product donations, relief products. And in such a um, theater of war, I would advise against that. Hmm. I would say find a way in which you know that the funds are going to reach the agencies that are on the ground in the Ukraine. Doctors Without Borders, charities that are specific to mothers and children. Mm. Um, 
the opportunity to help directly is 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 here for all of us, whether it's a small amount or whether you are a private foundation. For example, the IRS is going to enact a special dispensation. If you're a private foundation and you can give a lot of money, you can now look to make the grants directly. And the final point that I will make, even Ukrainians are saying, we don't need the money, our forces, mm. our armed forces. Unfortunately, there is a regulation in philanthropy and in the nonprofit sector that prohibits nonprofits, unless you are dedicated to just that mission, prohibits a normal standard 501c3 organization to give to a military or a government agency. Huh. Um, so it is important to learn what are the mechanisms that you can give. Um, remain a fervent advocate and act on your advocacy. Um, learn, uh, share information. This evening, I am going to a fundraising event here in Chicago. And not only whatever we can donate that evening will go directly to one of these nonprofit charities, but more importantly, it's going to be a village of Ukrainian artisans. Oh, that's awesome. So we will be able to support them and validate that their culture and who they are is valued by all of us. And back to the point made earlier, uh, that is how we express our humanity. I love that. Okay. Uh, uh, Claudia, man, I, I, I second what T-squared says because he quoted you saying suffering is suffering. Just drop the mic, walk away. Nothing else need to be needs to be said on the matter. And I would apply that to a lot of what you just shared there. Um, we've dropped the Charity Navigator link, which is a great way to do your homework and vet yeah. these groups. Um, I'm, I'm going to mispronounce this probably, but Razam of yeah, Ukraine. Yeah, I don't know how to say it, but that's exactly the right way uh, to write it. And Peter Bollet is making a great point, uh, supporting what Claudia is saying. Uh, he says that pop-ups are everywhere. Canadians started to buy up and no-show on Airbnb properties in Ukraine in a way to financially support locals. Uh, and with ours, fakes were popping up, fake yeah. nonprofits scamming folks. Unfortunately, yeah. it's unbelievable the heartless things that go on sometimes mm -hmm. in this world. But Dr. Ronda, appreciate that. Love the conversation. Uh, best wishes, safe travels to you. Enrique, coming to you. I know I've been watching this private chat. Man, you've been there's, there's so much that that you and the Vector team are involved in support. Uh, we've profiled a lot of those organizations, those leaders, and those causes on Logistics with Purpose. But tell us about a couple of initiatives that you would recommend. Yeah. So I think what Claudia said is, is exactly what we should be doing, right? Just do your homework. There's a lot of scams out there, unfortunately. So don't just give money to whoever. But uh, but definitely give money, right? I feel like um, I feel like everyone has like a good intention. And I think most people are actually willing to help. And they're outraged by what's going on. But but the percentage drops quickly when it comes to going from the outrage and the sadness and the anger to, okay, what are you doing? Right. And so I think, again, for me, the call of action is just, just donate something, do something like really, really be useful right now. Even if it's small, I think it's important that we all pitch in and we all kind of stand together with the Ukrainians and Ukraine and with this kind of attack towards freedom in general and towards humanity in general. So for us, we have reached out to the organizations that we currently work with, right? The MedShare, Solution Mission, Filter for Hope, Bebo Blue, which is another water filter organization. They're all willing to donate their products 
Uh, and they're all kind of very interested in helping out. White House and Shapiro, they have blankets. They have reached out to us, and I will try to ship them as well to Poland and some other parts. So, But at the end of the day, there's no one best uh, charity. I, I like CARE USA as well, and I think the link was already shared. I saw it on the comments. But, uh, but just in general, I would just uh, challenge people that are listening to us today just to do something. Just take action, no matter how small, how big, doesn't matter. Just take Absolutely. action. Uh, Karai, uh, amongst, thank you for all the, uh, and big thanks to Gartner for m allowing this information, this research to be made public and help help more folks. Appreciate your leadership there and, and the team over, you know, Mike Griswold, the whole team over at Gartner. You mentioned Procure for Peace which hit my radar for the first time uh, a few days ago. Speak a little bit to that and, and speak to any other projects you'd recommend to folks. Yeah, so Procure for Peace is bringing the supply chain community together under Sammy's uh, leadership, who is the co-founder of a spend analytics software. So he puts the software now into action for uh, philanthropic uh, purposes. And I think what the platform does is just looks you can even contribute your intelligence, meaning like you know how doing something, um, helping to structure the procurement process to be diligent and making the most of the spent uh, of the of the donated dollars. But it also connects someone who has something with someone who needs something. And um, so, you know, if you have over inventory, inventory that is, you know, obsolete or so, you, you can offer that there uh, if there is a need for that. So I think it's a great initiative that just started and it's sort of like coming from supply chain for supply chain. Because at the end of the day, freedom is achieved, you know, also through the access to goods and information mm. and Way you deal with that and it's not limited to a certain action type or a or a mindset type but if you think like that you're going to get something for it right so if it's uh if, if we can do something it's like getting organized with anything you have but i, I also want to point out it doesn't have to necessarily only go into ukraine look at all the refugees coming in they are there to stay so and they need means means of uh, accommodation means of daily life items and there are a lot of charities that are acting behind the border and when you think about the numbers we're talking about this is an unusual event and every unusual event i want to uh, also quote to nelson here has unfortunately modern slavery and exploitation associated with that because mm -hmm. it always it's the most vulnerable right and the most vulnerable are refugees so we will likely see a spike regardless that they're pouring into the western world there are criminal activities that exploit those people that are most right. vulnerable. So if you donate for Hope for Justice or Slave Free Alliance, I think you will do as much of an impact down the road as you would actually, you know, all the other great organizations. So if you feel like boots on the ground and things like that, it's a bit outside of your reach, think about something more close to you because the people are there to stay for a year, two, three. We don't know how long, but it's not going to be like it's going to go back tomorrow and start to rebuild their houses. That's not going to happen. Excellent. So much good. You know, two two quick follow-up points there based on what all of y'all are sharing, but certainly what Karaj just finished with. Number one, despite the newness of of the of the Russian invasion of Ukraine and the atrocities, all the other needs that have existed and the other suffering, as Claudia put it, continues to go on. It's just they get less attention, less support. 
Uh, and that's that's always a challenge, right? Based on news cycles and, and different different uh, things. Secondly, though, on a lighter note, happier note, Karab just mentioned about how freedom is, uh, I'm not going to get it exactly right, but it's secured through access to goods and information. So I'm going to take that, I'm going to extend on that, expound on it a bit. We've all known that global supply chain and the, and the incredible workforce that's behind it have been on noble mission. They always are on a noble mission. It's been elevated in recent years with the vaccine distribution. I would elevate it once again because according to Kora Kose, they become freedom fighters. And you know, if we can provide goods, services, and great information to people around the world, that puts us a little bit closer, hopefully, a little bit closer to not only providing freedom, but hopefully bringing this chapter uh, and all the hostilities and the atrocities uh, to an end. So with that said, I'm going to go around the panel, make sure folks know how to connect. You know, I know I've, I've hugged on y'all a lot here, but it's, it's really, it comes from a genuine place. I really admire all three of y'all and your, your hands-on leadership, your action-driven leadership. Uh, that's what it's all about. That is what it's all about. So Claudia, I'm going to start with you. How can folks connect uh, with you? Well, first, they need to follow Supply Chain Now because I'm always <laughs> You will always find me here in commentary sitting in the on the sidebar on the corner uh, welcome to connect with any friend uh, colleague anyone who wants to help uh, become involved you can find me on linkedin you can also visit our website uh, again eal is not uh, a global charity but we understand about philanthropy because we have been doing this work for 40 years uh, so we, we can help you identify ways to help and that is www.ealgreen.org uh, happy to connect with anybody to continue the dialogue. I love that. And and congratulations on 40 meaningful, impactful, purposeful years. And gosh, the folks that you are helping is just, it's, it's remarkable. So folks, make sure you connect with Claudia and support EAL, EAL Green if you can. Enrique, how can folks connect with you? Yeah, I think the best way would be either via LinkedIn uh, or also my email. It's Enrique, E-N-R-I-Q-U-E dot Alvarez at VectorGL.com. And of course, if someone's listening and wants to donate uh, products, uh, we're trying to coordinate a couple of containers to ship to uh, Poland and that region. So if, uh, if you want to donate and want to help out, just uh, send me an email or contact me also through the website at VectorGL.com. And uh, we'll be happy to to help out. Love it. Admire all the different things that the Vector team's in there. Uh, you know, when I first met Enrique Corai, I'm coming to you next. You're going to be the cleanup hitter. When our very first conversation I met Enrique years ago, he mentioned the change world as part of his MO and part of the mission. And, you know, it's easy, as I've said before, it's easy to kind of laugh at that. And I, and I don't mean that any offense to that, Enrique. But little did I'm I know, thinking. little did I know, I've seen it. Every time I sit down with Enrique, I see it. I see it in their actions. So that is, um, that's, that's one of the things that makes working in supply chain so cool. Uh, Korai, I don't know how you get any sleep. Anyone that follows you on, on social, much like Enrique and Claudia, uh, all kinds of things you're up to uh, beyond uh, providing actionable insights from the, the world-class Gartner team. How can folks connect with Korai Kose? I think the easiest is to connect with me through LinkedIn. Of course, uh, you don't have to get a Gartner subscription to connect with me. So feel free just to reach out and happy to help where I can, of course. And uh, yeah, or sometimes if time allows and if I have, I'm always a part of the cheap seats, uh, cheap seats here with, 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 with you guys. And uh, 
try to throw in a, a hello or a comment here and there. So appreciate also the opportunity to be with everybody here today. We love it. And you know, I, I love your sense of humor, which comes across in the comments as you make those cheap seat contributions. It, you know, we say it a lot, but it's, it's really important to kind of maintain in the darkest of days and the most challenging times, maintain that sense of humor because we all got to kind of check out and, and we got to take care of ourselves before we can, we can help everyone else. Uh, and that's a really important. Um, okay. Enrique Alvarez with Vector Global Logistics, Claudia Freed with EAL Green and Cora Cose with Gartner. I really appreciated your contributions as part of the conversation here today. Bless you in all of the work and all the contributions you're making as we get through this and then the next challenge, right? Because that's what it's all about. Yeah, that's what the supply chain does. The curveballs keep coming. Folks that are listening to this, again, I want to want to uh, piggyback on all the comments that you've heard here and the challenges and kind of throwing the gauntlet down to each of y'all. It's about taking action. So hopefully you can find an initiative or an organization that Enrique, Claudia, and Cora have mentioned. Hey, uh, do you, but do your own homework. Do your own vetting, right? There's a lot of bad actors doing some bad things. But whatever you do, on behalf of our entire team here at Supply Chain Now, Scott Luton challenging you to do good, give forward, and be the change that's needed. And we'll see you next time right back here on Supply Chain Now. Thanks, everybody. Thanks for being a part of our Supply Chain Now community. Check out all of our programming at SupplyChainNow.com and make sure you subscribe to Supply Chain Now anywhere you listen to podcasts. And follow us on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram. See you next time on Supply Chain Now. Supply Chain Now.